This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be reading from verse 13 through 16. Tyler got us started on this amazing text of the Sermon on the Mount by walking us through the Beatitudes last week. And he reminded us to begin with humility toward God and a compassion toward others. And then assuming we want to live that way, listen in this text to the impact that the good life can have on others. Matthew 5, verse 13 and following. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a basket, but on the lampstand and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this word and thank you for the way it begins to shape our lives. And we pray that we might, in fact, together be this salt and light in ways that would move those around us. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, I'm fascinated always by stories of personal influence and how somebody influences another life. Robert Dabney was a great professor and theologian from Virginia in the Presbyterian Church in the 19th century. He was the chaplain at one time to Stonewall Jackson in the midst of the Civil War. Dabney had an uncle a very gifted lawyer who was well on in years and not a Christian. The uncle was actually rather skeptical of all things religious. Well, this bothered Robert Dabney. And he would regularly send his uncle books and sermons which he hoped would convince his uncle of the truth of Christianity. And then to his great joy, One day, he learned that his uncle made a profession of faith and joined a Presbyterian church, and he was so excited, and the young nephew uh, was eager to learn which book or which sermon had finally convinced his uncle of the power and truth of Christianity. So he asked him, which one was it? Which one that I sent you actually turned your heart? And with some impatience, the old man said that none of the books or the sermons had brought him to Christ. Rather, it was the influence of Dabney's younger sister, Betty, as she lived the faith in front of her uncle day by day by day. You see, she was salt, 
and she was light in front of an unbelieving uncle and an old man met Christ. Are you aware of the influence you can have in Jesus Christ assuming we're living that life of humility to God and compassion to others? You see, Betty was able to show that in her life. And that's where this picture from the text takes us today with salt and light, where individuals live out the kingdom life. But I want you to note one other dimension in this passage. Because the text is actually a second person plural. Now, a little grammar lesson. A singular in English, when we're referring to ourselves, is I. And a singular referring to kind of the collective us is a we. And a third person is a he and it's a they. But English is a little bit of a mess when it comes to the second person. So turn to your neighbor and say, there's a little mess going on here. Yeah? Okay, the mess is this. You is second person singular, and you is second person plural. And so it can be a little ambiguous. So you read this text, you are salt, you are light, it's plural. Now, if you had grown up in the South, like me, all of this would not be a problem. Because in the South, we had you and we had y'all. And if there were a bunch of y'alls, we would say all (laughs) y'all. New Jersey has an advantage on us in this because they will say, use guys. uh, And that makes the second person plural clear. But this text is second person plural. And one more little grammar. It's not an imperative. You've got to work yourself up to being salt. Try really hard to be light. That's an imperative. It's simply an indicative. You are. You don't have to be. You are. It's just there. So the first piece of this is you're the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth, collectively. Now when we call somebody, Jeff Ramsey's just the salt of the earth, or Herbie's just the salt of the earth, we usually mean something like they're steady and reliable. But in this text, Jesus is actually describing something else when he says you are salt. And there are at least three things in this. One is that salt flavors food. A baked potato, a french fry without salt is just missing something. Jesus expects something about our life together to be attractive and, in effect, reflect what Paul will describe as the aroma of Christ. There's something about it that you just rub off on others and and you taste good. It's as if, wow, I've got to figure out what makes old self together so attractive. Anne Lamont, great writer, says this. There are certain people whose company you love, whose mind you love to pick, whose running commentary holds your attention, who makes you laugh out loud. That's influence. 
Are we an influence on others? Well, parents can play that role with children, obviously. Sometimes for good, sometimes for evil. This is where an influential coach or a teacher or a group can kind of help draw people in. And I think one of the hopes we have is that Old South would flavor the culture of Newburyport and Newbury and Salisbury and Amesbury in such a way that people go, hmm, there's something about that place. I've just got to get there. As a high school student, I, I was deeply moved by a Bible study group that met on Saturday night. Now think about that. Teenager, Saturday night, Bible study. Do those normally go together in your mind? No. But this group was so attractive. The couple that led it, that taught it, were, were just magnetic personalities. And the group that gathered was the group you just wanted to be with. And so most Saturday nights, I was there, and it was just so winsome. Years ago, I was curious. I'd taken and taught the Alpha course several times, and I was in London, and I had a full day waiting for another plane to somewhere else. So I decided I want to go see Holy Trinity Brompton because that was the church that formed the Alpha course. And so I got on public transportation and got there. It was very hard to find. It's tucked away behind the Albert and Victoria Museum. It's a very nondescript church. Nothing as magnificent as this place. And yet, you walk in the door and the people are just magnetic. There's just a taste about them that you want to be around. How do we taste at Old South? What is the way that we together are flavoring this culture. Secondly, salt in that culture especially was a preservative. It, it kept things from decaying or rotting. And so almost every fish that was caught in the Sea of Galilee was rolled in salt so that it could be eaten in subsequent days. Cultures go through periods of decay. You get impressive runs of periods of time where cultures are coming together and then apathy and self-centeredness and disintegration sets in and a culture begins to decay. One of the jobs of Christians collectively is to be a preservative in society. Old South can be a kind of salt so that we keep pointing people to Jesus in a world that slowly shifts. We can hold up an example of what it looks like to this decaying world. You can do that individually. We can do it collectively. It just causes us to behave differently. For instance, years ago in my life, a man named Dale Bruner was a particular influence. We met every Thursday afternoon for about four years as he was discipling me. And, and there were just parts of living as salt and living as light that were not all clear to me at that point. So one day I came into his office and I was just complaining and ragging on another pastor in town that I thought was not doing the right things and blah, 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 blah. And I was just starting into this very deep discussion. And suddenly Dale interrupted me in the middle of it and said, Jim, I may, I may be way off base, but I'm curious about why we would be talking about this brother when this brother is not here 
with us. Is there a reason we need to be having this conversation when shouldn't we be talking to him about these things? And it just stopped me dead in my tracks. Right. That is what Christians do. Right. I, I, see, I was decaying and I needed to be rolled in salt to remember, oh yeah, that's what we do. Salt is a flavoring element. Salt is a preservative element. And salt makes people thirsty. That's part of what we hope will happen around here. There's an old cliche, you can lead a horse to water, what's the rest of it, but? You can't make it drink. But there's another additive you can put with it, but you can put salt in their oats. So you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink, but you could put salt in their oats. And you see, part of the Christian life is to put salt in the oats of people in this world. C.S. Lewis wrote years ago, most people, if they've really learned to look in their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are sorts of things this world will offer to you, but they can never keep their promise. You see, we can salt the oats of unbelievers by, as a church, reminding them there's more. There's more. There's more. Add a little salt to that yearning and people are thirsty. That Bible study on Saturday nights for me made me thirsty for more. Dale Bruner's influence in my life made me thirsty to live a different way. Jesus said, if we lose our saltiness, which means we cease to live out the humility toward God, the compassion toward others of the Beatitudes, if we cease to do that, then our salt is not going to be tasteful. You know, salt is really a very stable compound, sodium chloride, but the salt of the ancient world was mostly harvested from marshes, had lots of impurity, and it would go bad. Churches. All churches develop an institutional side to themselves with facilities and committees and organizations. And you see, those parts of the church are not our salty side. And when that's all people see in a church is an organization, they will tend to say, this is tasteless. They're looking for something more. They're looking for the kind of witness that really cares about people. I think we've probably looked our best in the middle of a pandemic when Sunday sandwiches have been open week after week after week on the sidewalk and people are going, there's something tasty here. Believe it or not, in the early church, when someone was baptized, the next part of the liturgy was to bring out the salt shaker and salt the tongue of every new baptized believer. Just to remind them, you're the salt of this world. And so before you go home today, 
you want to see me, I'll just salt your tongue today. Just pull the mask down, stick out your tongue, I'll get it. And that's just a reminder of who you are. Now, there's a second image here, and that's light. You're not only salt, you're the light to the world. The Bible uses salt as the contrast to darkness. You heard the passage Sarah read from Ephesians. It was reminding what it looks like to live in darkness, what it looks like to live in light. Darkness always connoted ignorance. Light always connoted the truth. Darkness exposed hiddenness and falsehood. Light was open and vulnerable and truthful. We're technically not the generators of that light. You're not producing that light. You're simply reflecting God's light given to you. Again, it's kind of in a passive state. We're the light of the world. But he says we're, we're like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You know, that city set on a hill was what drove Puritans to New England to establish churches all over this area that would literally be cities set on a hill. In almost every New England city, what you're going to find is a church put in the middle of it to be that, that center suggesting light. Most of them had lights in them. They all had high steeples to remind you of the center. They all had bells which rung to bring you into worship. That's the way New England villages were set out so that the church would be that center part of the culture. Sunday by Sunday, we ring the old Paul Revere bell. Uh, the door is open on the sidewalk for Sunday sandwiches. Letting light means that we're going to let God's light be reflected in our lives in such a way that it pervades society. In the year 200, Tertullian, early church father, said this, we are but of yesterday, but we have filled every place among you. Cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We've left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. That's how you're saying the light just went out from the Roman church. It spread. But Jesus knows in this passage that we as the church, the people together, we have a little tendency. Did you catch it? We have a tendency to put our light under a bushel. Oh, dear. So if we took this light, which again is symbolic of that very light, and we put a bushel on top of it, nobody would see it. In fact, eventually it would extinguish itself from no oxygen. We might be shy. We might be afraid of persecution. We might be a little insecure as disciples. This text is saying, oh, oh, go back to the Beatitudes. Humility toward God, compassion toward people. You're going to be light. But don't do anything extra to hide it. Let the light reflect. And then people are going to know and give thanks to the God who is with us. So we are part of something bigger than just us. We're part of the people of God. And together, y'all, that is all y'all, are bearing witness to this place. And if we lose sight of that, 
by our fear or by our concern not to be thought of in some kind of ill way. We're going to miss our chance to be salt and light. So the two things in this passage are right here together. Salt and light. I'll sprinkle you with salt at the end of worship, if you'd like. I want you to keep looking at this light and remember that's what the world is looking to see, that we would be, in effect, a lighthouse. And that's why I love the fact that we light our steeple all the time so people can just see. So let me pause with one last story of influence. The first church that I served, there was a family who had children about the same age as our two children, and they played together, and we loved that family. And after we moved, they had a third child that was born with health issues related to the heart. And he didn't live very many months and sadly died very young. And on the way to the funeral, little Charles, who we knew, who was about five then, turned and asked his uncle, are you sad about Robert, who was the little baby that had just died? And the uncle said very wisely, oh yes, I'm very sad. And it's okay to be sad. And then Charles said, I cry sometimes about Robert, but I know I'll see him someday. And his uncle, knowing how little boys can become confused, said, well, Charles, what do you mean by that? And Charles said, oh, I'll see him when Jesus comes for me. You see, it's like this. Robert's body is in the ground, but his soul is up in heaven with Jesus. And right now, I know that he has a well body and a well heart. And right now, I know he's sliding down a rainbow. And when I get there, he'll know the best rainbows and we'll have so much fun. Now, how did a five-year-old Charles know that? Well, because he had a mother and a dad who prayed with him, who read the scriptures to him, who told him stories of Jesus and God, and because he came to worship at five, and he was baptized in that congregation, and he was in Sunday school, where he was loved by adult Sunday school teachers, and he was in fellowship in a devoted group of young adults all around him, and he heard those stories about his faith and his knowledge grew, and a church was salt and light in his life, and he knew he was part of something much larger. Don't ever forget, that's what Old South is here to be, salt and light. And we've got a world to influence for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, now take your word and drive it deeply into our hearts in a place that we never forget who we together are called to be. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.